Uh, well, again, it's great to be here this evening, uh, and I really do uh, just to appreciate the, the chance to be here in this first week of this Defining Moments series. Uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you about a defining moment in my life. Um, it's an event that happened to me about, um, it, it, was in, it was in my early 20s. Uh, now, I have to say that probably the most defining moment in my life uh, is the moment that I actually spoke about uh, in the interview. Uh, that is the time when I became a Christian, uh, the, ta- the time when I came to, to trust in Jesus. That's the biggest defining moment in my life. This is another one, uh, not quite as big, uh, but maybe you could call it the second most defining moment in my life. Let me go back, um, fast forward about eight years after I became a Christian, and I ended up studying um, electrical engineering at a uni uh, in Sydney. Uh, and I loved it. And I was doing well. Um, I was focusing on renewable energy. So I was focusing on solar cell technology, you know, turning sunlight into electricity. Um, and my, the people who were sort of um, involved in teaching me, they were leaders in, in the area. They were top people teaching it. And I was with them and I was... I was doing research with lasers, so I was able to sort of go down into a basement and play around with a laser, um, and that was just, I, just, I found that really cool anyway, um, and just fiddle around with the, with the electronics and make it work. I was also, at the same time, um, I joined the uni campus Bible study group, uh, it's called Campus Bible Study, uh, and th- that's sort of the Christian Union equivalent. I started going along to the talks and uh, going along to the Bible studies. And I love that as well. Uh, I, I love being in church, uh, and I really love the Bible studies, and I loved hearing about God and his word. And so it was great. My life was on track. Um, I had a plan. It was a good plan. Uh, it was, uh, I was all set to play around with more lasers for the rest of my life, be an electronic solar energy engineer, you know, be a bright future, we thought, you know. And plus, bonus... I was a Christian, and I had eternal life sorted out. It was really good. My defining moment happened uh, during a week-long conference that we had uh, for the the Campus Bible Study group. And the speaker was preaching through Ephesians chapter 1. It's the same uh, passage that we just had read for us now, Ephesians chapter 1, from Paul's letter uh, to people... Um, in the ancient world, uh, who are in danger of being uh, discouraged, uh, and Paul is writing to them to encourage them about the wonderful gospel. And this, the actual talks were all, there was actually five talks, and it was all on Ephesians chapter 1. So it's a pretty, it's, it's a pretty full-on chapter. It was just really great. But there was an illustration that the speaker used uh, that stuck with me quite vividly, uh, and just helped to crystallise some of the things that Paul's saying in Ephesians chapter 1. And that illustration uh, was a Copernican revolution. I'll explain that in a minute. Okay? But it's a Copernican revolution. Just keep the phrase in your head and then I'll explain what I mean. First, more importantly, let me just read again um, the key Bible verses that really struck me. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 to 12. He, God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him 
we've also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. So these verses are about God's great plan for his universe. It's a plan that God has graciously revealed to us. And it's a plan that's all about his son, Jesus Christ. What is God's plan? Well, see verse 10? To bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth, in him. See, the world is heading somewhere. It's going somewhere. God's got a plan. He's bringing all things together. He's, he's uniting all things, bringing all things together for Jesus, working out everything for Jesus, in Jesus. Jesus is at the centre of it all. That's his goal. That's his plan. And that's what he's working towards even now. And the thing that struck me, and I wonder if it strikes you, I just want you to notice this, that God's plan is not all about me. And it's not all about you. It's actually all about Jesus. Now, of course, we, we fit into his plan. We, we, we are part of this plan, and it's wonderful. God chose us to hope in Jesus. God chose us to trust in Jesus. But it's all, and Paul keeps coming back to this all the time in Ephesians chapter 1, it's all for the praise of his glory. That's what it's all about. We're there for him. And the preacher called that a Copernican revolution. And it was definitely a Copernican revolution for me. Okay, so what's, what's this Copernican revolution? What is it? Uh, just go back to medieval times. right? Think about astronomers in medieval times. Astronomers had a big theory about how, how the universe worked. Uh, the, the theory, um, the, the, the more, most common theory about how the universe worked is that the Earth is in the middle, is in the centre, and everything in the universe revolves around the Earth, including the sun and everything else. And we human beings, of course, are right in the middle of it all. We're, we're on the Earth, and, and that seemed to make sense to people. Because it certainly seems reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, it seems to make sense of, of your experience. After all, the sun gets up every morning, and it goes across the sky, and then it sets again. And it looks like the sun's revolving around the Earth. That's just what it looks like. It seems to make sense. Uh, so obviously, that seemed to be what, it was, what, what was happening. Now, there were problems, though, with the theory that they had, because when people looked at the planets and when they looked at all the other things in the sky, they, they, they started to realise that, well, the planets were kind of going over here, then they were coming back here, and they're going around in circles and everything else. So they, they said, that's OK, we can come up with theories to explain that. So they had all these really elaborate theories to explain the things that they couldn't explain. So the planets with the weird back and forth motions, the astronomers had weird complex lines and circles within circles, and that explained it. And they were happy with that, and that was fine, until Nicholas Copernicus came along. And other people as well. Okay, so if you're you know, in the history of science, you know, there's other people too. But Nicholas Copernicus is the most famous of these people who came along. And he said, actually, wouldn't it make more sense if the sun was at the middle of it all? Wouldn't, it make, wouldn't everything just make more sense 
if actually the sun was in the middle of it all and the earth turned, and that's why we see the sun going across the sky, and, and if we assume the sun's at the centre. You stick the sun at the centre, you don't have to, to have all these complex, you know, weird circles and everything. It just makes sense. Everything just revolves around the sun. And, and that makes more sense. But there's just one problem with that theory. There's a big problem. A really, really, really difficult problem. And what, what that problem is, is that it means we're not at the centre anymore. It means that something else out there is at the centre and we're revolving around it as we're on the earth. So human beings, humanity, had to abandon their assumption that we're at the centre of it all. That was pretty hard to swallow for quite some time, but after a while, everyone agreed it was true. And yes, it was, it was humbling for us human beings. And yes, it, it does seem to go against some daily experience, but as time went on, people realised it had to be true. That, that's, that's how it works. And actually, when you read, say, Psalm 8 in the Old Testament, you see uh, something similar where, where it says, God is great, humans are so insignificant. When I consider your heavens, the, the, the skies, the work, what, what are we? You know, what, what are we? we? We are small, we're insignificant. It's only by God's grace that he allows us to do anything or rule anything or be anything. Now, since then, there have been more revolutions in astronomy. I won't give you a science lesson at the moment, but there's more revolutions. We've discovered the sun isn't actually at the centre. Actually, it's revolving around the centre of the galaxy, and then the galaxy is sort of revolving. Well, you know, there's all these other galaxies out there, and the galaxy is part of a universe, and the visible universe, there's more, there's more stars in the universe than there are more uh, in the visible universe than there are grains of sand on every beach in the world. And then the, all the sort of that stuff out there, that matter is only 5% and the other 95% we've got no idea what it is. It's called dark matter and dark energy because we don't know what it is. And they keep going, okay, this is not a science lesson. Okay, stop there, right? Back to the Bible, Ephesians chapter 1. What's the Copernican revolution got to do with me and the Bible? Well, as I came to grips with these verses from Ephesians and the rest of the Bible actually, and of course the Gospels, where we actually come face to face with Jesus and see who he is and his love and his power and his authority and those things. I had to have my own Copernican revolution. Because so far I'd been going along merrily assuming that I was at the centre of my life and that Jesus was great and Jesus was revolving around my life. And I had important things to do with my life and Jesus was there to help me with my dreams and to help me to achieve the things that I was going to achieve or to do the things and follow the things I needed to follow. But the Bible showed me, actually, it's the other way around. Life isn't about me. It's all about Jesus Christ. God has a plan. It's a wonderful plan. And it's a plan to bring everything together in Christ. God is working all this out according to his will. Everything is for the praise of his glory. And I'm part of it. I'm part of it. God graciously chose me to be part of this plan. And that's wonderful. But it means that my life doesn't my life revolves around Jesus and not the other way around. And it was in some ways it was a confronting reality. I mean, actually, when you think about it, it makes sense. But it's a confronting reality when you think about it. It's a confronting reality for, for all of us, isn't it? In some ways, isn't it? Because it is the precise opposite to the message that our world constantly preaches to us. Uh, the message that we get through social media, the message we get through school, the message we especially that we get through advertisers, the messages that we get all the time through all the different things, 
what are the messages that we get? What's our world's message? You're special. Trust yourself. Be true to yourself. Follow your passion. Don't accept limits. Chart your own course. You have a responsibility to do great things because you are so great. I, I actually am quoting there from David Brooks, who's a New York Times columnist who wrote a, a book called The Road to Character. And he's listing some messages that are becoming more and more common in our world. He thinks it's a problem. He calls it the gospel of self-trust. But you hear this message, you hear it from Disney princesses and you hear it at graduation speeches, David Brooks says. And he calls it narcissism. He's not talking about a psychological diagnosis. He's just talking about this idea of being turned in on ourselves, thinking about ourselves all the time, thinking about ourselves as being at the centre of the universe. Uh, way beyond healthy self-esteem. Healthy self-esteem is a good thing. But what he's saying is we can end up focusing everything and everyone on ourselves and our own desires. And actually, when we do that, it does cause problems. It causes problems in our world. It causes problems in our relationships. Uh, you know, you've got two people um, who are both uh, in, a, in a relationship and they're both the centre of their own universe. Uh, it's not going to work out very well, is it? Because someone's got to be at the centre of the universe. Uh, it's causing problems in society. It's causing problems in politics and all sorts of things. There's, there's special interest groups and everything else. That's our world. And God's word gave me an entirely different vision for living my life. The exact opposite of that narcissistic attitude. It, it, it brought me down. It pointed me away from myself to something greater, to, to, to Jesus. Someone greater, not just something greater. Someone greater. And actually, that's what a Christian is, fundamentally. You know, if you become a Christian, I'd become a Christian six years ago, eight years before, whatever it is. And, and I, I, I had already done this, really. It's just I came to terms with it at this point. A Christian is fundamentally a person who admits that life is not all about me. It's actually all about Jesus. Someone who lives for someone else. Jesus Christ. You can see it a few verses back uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. See, God, God's chose us, says he predestined us, and all for the praise of what? For the, for the praise of my dreams, the praise of my goals? No, for the praise of his glorious grace. And even our choices are for him, for his glory. So notice it says God chose us before we chose him, before the creation of the world. God had this plan and he made these decisions, including decisions about me, before I made any decisions about God. He'd already decided. And that truth is highly confronting. And it confronted me. It showed me that God's great plan spans from before creation to the end of time through to eternity. And it showed me that God doesn't exist to fit into my plans I exist to fit into his. So I was brought down. I was humbled. But as I was humbled, at the very same time, I was lifted up. 
And that absolutely changed my life. Because that, that re-centering, that, that truth that we have here in these words from the Bible, that, that truth about God being in control, even in control of choosing and the predestination thing, it's not... When Paul mentions predestination, he doesn't mention it as some intellectual puzzle here. He doesn't mention it as some annoying philosophical concept that we, we just designed to tie us up in knots and make us run around in circles, trying desperately to prove, no, 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 I am really at the centre of the universe and my choices matter. God, that's, that's not what he does. That's not why he's even mentioned it. Why has he mentioned God's choice of us in Jesus? He's mentioned it because it's a blessing. It's the riches of God's grace. That's what Paul is doing here. He's talking about the wonderful blessings that we have in Christ. The richness of God's grace. And that reality lifts us up. Verse 3, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. For Paul, this is a wonderful thing. It's a source of... Of his praise. God in his grace has chosen us. Made us his children. God had his heart set on us. Before the creation of the world. And now he's redeemed us by sending Jesus to die for us on the cross. To die in our place. To bring us forgiveness. When we see that it's all about Jesus and all about God's plan, we see how wonderful that is. And he's given us that certain sure hope for the future, the security of eternal life. That knowledge that, that nothing can take us away from God's grip. My grip on God might falter. His grip on me would never falter. And when you think about it... You know, if the universe really did revolve around me, or the universe really did revolve around you, well, frankly, we'd be doomed, wouldn't we? <laughs> what use would that be? <laughs> Who am I left to myself? If it was just about me, well, I'm weak and I'm a sinner. I can't help myself. And I'm facing God's judgment, actually, rightly. I'd have no hope. All I'd have would, I don't know, you only live once. That's all I'd have. And then you die. And you face God's judgment. And that's bad news. But if you see Jesus at the centre, you can see that everything, everything is different. Jesus' blood brings forgiveness of our trespasses because he died in our place for us. Full and complete forgiveness. We have that hope, that secure hope, that everlasting hope, an inheritance, eternal life, secure in Jesus. And that's why in this section of Ephesians, Paul just piles the blessings up and up. And the more we see Jesus at the centre of it all, past, uh, past and present and, and future, then the more we see how great those blessings are. Jesus at the centre actually gives us a reason to live our lives. So verse 4, God had a goal when he chose us. 
to be holy and blameless in love before him. If it were up to us, if we were left to ourselves, we'd just be unholy. We'd just be blameworthy. We'd only be worthy of God's judgment in, in his presence. But the fact that God chose us changes all of that. He forgives us. He frees us from blame. And he makes us holy. He makes us, that means it makes us special to him, special for him. And this holiness is something that we, we have right now through believing in Jesus. But it's not just something that we have and just hold on to. It gives us a reason to live. It gives us a goal for our lives to be holy. Holiness is also something for us to work on in our lives, something to make more and more real in our lives. You see, if you don't see Jesus at the centre, if you see yourself as you at the centre and you hear someone say, you need to be more holy, you need to put sin to death, you need to be someone who does you know, the right thing, well, you might ask, okay, well, if God's already chosen us to be holy, is there, if he's already given us forgiveness, where's the incentive? Where's the incentive to work on more holiness in my life? Surely we need some incentive, don't we, to, to do better? But if you ask that question, then you don't get it. You don't get the point. If you're asking about incentives, you know, you're acting like a customer of God or something, or you're acting like a, an employee of God or, or, or even a slave of God or something, you're not acting the way that God chose you to be. He's adopted us as sons, verse 5. We're dearly loved, adopted children of God. That's what he's chosen us to be in Jesus. And the more a child knows that they are loved and the more a child knows who they are, the less they need threats and external incentives. They want to please their parents. Obviously not perfectly. <laughs> We're all sinners, aren't we? But they want to please their parents. And that gives us a great incentive to live our lives of holiness. We know that God's already done that for us in Jesus. We don't need to prove ourselves and earn it as if it's all about us and what we do because it is all about Jesus. And that means we can continue to work on holiness in our lives. Why? Because God is our loving Father. He's chosen us to be holy and blameless in him. We have that secure hope. We know where the world's heading. Jesus, it's heading uh, to, to everything being united in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have that secure hope in him. And that gives us a reason then to share that message with others. God has that great plan, you see. How's he achieving it? Through the gospel being preached, going out to the world. That's what verse 13 is about. In him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. He's reminding them of how the gospel came to them and they, they trusted in, in Jesus. That's where the world is heading. That's what God is doing in the world right now. And that's what he's calling us to be part of, that, that great plan by trusting in Jesus and by sharing Jesus with others. And as we share Jesus, we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be scared. We don't need to be. We can be confident because God's got it in control. This is his plan. We can be secure in the knowledge that this is actually what God is doing in the world, to bring people to himself, to gather people, to know Jesus through that message. And that's why the Holy Spirit's mentioned here. It's not our job to convert people. You know, it's not our job to go, I can't convert anybody. How could I convert someone? How could you convert someone? None of us can. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is just to be part of it, to share the message, to be God's children sharing that message. We don't know who he's chosen. We don't need to know. That's okay. We just need to pray and humbly get on with it. 
It's not all up to us. We don't have to be anxious about our weaknesses and our failures. We can rejoice that God uses our humble efforts to achieve his purposes. So the reason that this was the turning point in my life, there's a reason that this was really a defining moment, is that I was gripped by that vision. That was my Copernican revolution. The Copernican revolution is just the illustration, really. I know it'll look different for different people, but this is how it looked for me. 25 years ago, I abandoned my uh, work in the solar energy industry and I chose vocational ministry. I chose to, to be involved in Christian ministry. Why did I do that? Because I realised that my life was to revolve around Jesus and his plans and purposes and not the other way around. God's plan to bring all things together, to see people trusting in the Lord Jesus, to see that gospel go out to the world, to draw everything together in Christ. I thought I'd better work out how to orient my life around that great plan. I had to rethink my lifetime work and my plans and my goals. And yeah, I know that vocational ministry isn't for everybody. And I'm still glad that there's Christians in the solar cell industry. And that's really great. Uh, many of them are leaders in the area. But for me, I realised well, I had to seriously consider vocational ministry because of the, the, the possible um, gifts that I had in that area. So, of course, for about four years, I prayed. Um, I kept trying to share the gospel with people. I, I thought through what the Copernican revolution would mean in my life, whether I should give up being a solar energy engineer to be involved full-time in gospel ministry. And there were four stages in my thinking over that time. Um, uh, four years, about four years, four stages. Year one, I didn't think I could and I didn't want to. Uh, year two, I didn't think I could be involved in gospel ministry and I, I tried to prove that I couldn't by having a go at doing ministry things and showing that I wasn't any good at it because I knew I wasn't any good at it. And then year three, I thought I might be able to but I kept trying to prove that I couldn't. Year four, I thought maybe I could and actually I wanted to. And I saw with the particular opportunities that God given, had given me who I was to give up that, that small ambition that I had, that original small ambition to be involved in solar cell research, to be involved in climate change research, it's really good stuff. But to do this. So I worked for a few years in the solar energy industry. I started ministry training and now I'm training others in ministry. And now for me, realising that Jesus is in charge, that he's at the centre, not me. That wasn't just something that changed my life once. It keeps changing my life. And it changes everything. Here's just two ways it affects me even now. Uh, firstly, it keeps me humble in my own ministry. It really does. In lots of ways, um, I, I'm probably still an engineer at heart, you know, sort of nerd, you know, Greek nerd, etc. Um, and as an engineer, I love strategies and I love goals and that kind of thing. I like making things happen. I like organising things. I like when other people organise things in church and life. Um, I love to make goals and measure things. But this Copernican revolution keeps reminding me not to set my hopes and dreams on these things, on these strategies and these goals and organisation, to set it on God, God through his Holy Spirit, who is doing this and calling people to himself. And yeah, I know it's good to plan, I know it's good to organise things, and God uh, graciously uses our, our, our strategies for his sake. But a life of ministry doesn't revolve around my plans. It revolves around God and his plans for his son Jesus. So that's one way. Uh, another thing that remembering God's plans for his son does for me is this. It helps me to keep going, even when the world seems to be going in the opposite direction. And I know that's true for a lot of the students that I teach at Moore College. Many of them, um, and, and I know, they've given up a lot to be involved in ministry. They've come 
uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the world thinks they're completely mad. They've given up um, earning big bucks, some of them. Many of them are a disappointment to their families. Many of them are traitors to their, their, their own um, ethnic communities, laughingstock to their friends or former colleagues for doing this crazy thing of being involved uh, in, in sharing Jesus and doing that vocationally. And I've had a taste of that. Uh, recently, uh, a few years ago, I went to the uh, funeral of Stuart Wenham. Um, he was my actually former supervisor and boss in the solar energy industry. And I, I went there, and he was a superstar of the solar energy industry. He'd been instrumental in making solar cells really big uh, throughout the world, um, including in China you know, and, and various other places. And the funeral was huge. It was full of, of great luminaries, uh, former colleagues. And I, and I met one of the former colleagues at a funeral, no, not a Christian, um, someone who'd stayed in the field. He, he, he wasn't a Christian. Uh, he, he knew, or, you know, we'd had conversations, uh, he knew that I was a minister um, of the gospel. And he effectively said to me, I don't remember the precise words, but he effectively said to me, Lionel, you're an idiot. You're a fool. Because look at this. Look at, look at this person's life, Stuart Wenham's life. You gave that up. And now you're just doing this stupid Christian ministry thing, which is nothing. What, what, what did you do? And that hurt a little bit. Just a little bit. Because, you know, it's a bit shameful to be in that room full of all these successful people and I've just done this silly thing. But really, I don't regret the revolution at all. I don't regret it because I know my life still revolves around Jesus, someone greater, something greater. My life is caught up with God's plans for the universe through his son, Jesus. So much greater. I'm secure in him. And actually... Um, at the funeral, Stuart Wenham, the guy, the guy whose funeral it was, that great luminary of the solar energy industry, the person whose life of brightness and power we were all sort of celebrating that day, he was a Christian too. And at that funeral, he left instructions to make sure that everybody knew it. So we sang a song at the end. He got everybody in the room, you know, through his instructions to sing How Deep the Father's Love final thing we sang. How does, how does that go? The song, how, do you know it? Do you know the song, How Deep the Father's Love? I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Stuart's life didn't revolve around solar energy. Stuart's life revolved around the sun, around the son of God, God's true son, Jesus Christ. And that Copernican revolution is precisely what had changed my life in the first place. So I want to ask, what about you? What about you? What's at the centre of your own universe? What does your life revolve around? Your own plans? Your own dreams? I challenge you this new year, as, as everyone's making New Year's resolutions, or lots of people are doing it, seriously ask yourself that. Seriously ask yourself that question. Are your ambitions and your dreams too small? And if they're about you, then they're too small. Are they about Jesus?
bring your life into the orbit of somebody far greater. Jesus Christ. Jesus is what the world is about. It's, it's where the world is heading. Maybe you need to start following him in the first place. Maybe you don't even follow Jesus or trust in him or know what this, what this thing is. Trust him with your life. You, you can do that. Pray to him. Ask him to forgive you. Uh, sign up for the Explaining Christianity course. That sounds like a fantastic idea. Or maybe you do trust Jesus, but consider things in your life, your plans for the year, your, your hopes, your dreams, your goals, your relationships, how you use your time, uh, there may be big decisions coming up for you in the next year or the next few years, big life decisions, career, whatever it is. What would it mean for you to bring these into line with God's plans for his universe? To see your life revolving around him rather than the other way around. That's God's plan. To bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. You just pray with me. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. And we praise you for him. We praise you for the Lord Jesus. Father, please help us to see our lives in light of your son, the Lord Jesus. And please help us to fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, to keep running for him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The Apostle Paul, who wrote uh, these words, uh, also wrote to uh, the Corinthians, Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles. He's just talking about Jesus' resurrection and how Jesus appeared to him. And he says, I'm the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.